just after 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and that must mean it's time again for Money Management with Opus 111 Group's Mike Mail. Here's Mike. Good morning. It's 9 o'clock Saturday Pacific. It must be time for Money Management, and yes, it is. My name is Mike Mail. I'm with the Spokane Office of the Opus 111 Group, and we're here to talk with you about the markets, the economy, and hopefully provide you some general insights that can give you some, um, well, I don't know, confidence about what it is you're doing or how you're looking at the marketplace. Now, this last week was, uh, this is a great word, isn't it? Interesting. Uh, that covers a lot of territory. Um, we had pretty much something for everybody, uh, you know, the going way down and then coming up here yesterday at the close. Uh, but what I want to do today is to give you some market tidbits, if you will. I want to talk about growth and value because that's being bopped around by all the uh, pundits and commentators. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks aren't really clear, you know, what's the difference? So I'll try and make a few comments about that to help you maybe make some delineations in that regard. Um, we'll talk about the economy, some of the reports that came out, uh, some of the thoughts from analysts and seers about uh, the outlook for the market. And then I want to do some kind of, uh, if you will, philosophical waxing and waning about uh, the markets in general and attitudes and perspectives and those kinds of things that I think are important in these kinds of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, murky markets. So yesterday, the Dow closed at 32,196. That was up 466 points. The markets were up all day long. The S&P ended at 4023. NASDAQ closed at 11,805. Russell 2000 at 1791. Gold at 1809 an ounce. Silver at 2093 an ounce. Crude uh, ended the week at 108.65 a barrel. Ten-year Treasury at 2.93%. And soft white wheat was last quoted at 11.15 a bushel. Now, the 10-year is down from a week ago. Gold, excuse me, yeah, well, gold and silver down from a week ago, as is oil. Um, yeah, tech, well, for the rest of it, all the stock indices were down somewhat week over week as well. Year-to-date, the Dow's down 12.9%. Uh, the S&P, 16.4%, and the NASDAQ, again, being beaten about the head and shoulders because of its tech concentration, it's down 26%. Uh, year to date. Now, as you saw yesterday, prices don't fall forever. So, uh, you know, don't. That's one of the things I want to hit on today is that, you know, this negative meat, all this negativity that's out there, jeepers, crimey, these people just won't let it up. It isn't that bad. And that's what we're going to hopefully have you walk away with by the time this hour is over. Now, Tuesday, we get the latest retail sales reports. So we have a some idea of how consumer spending is going to be going, or is going. Wednesday, housing starts, and then Thursday, another jobless claims number. So, earnings are about done. So, the big news is about shot now for uh, this month, I would guess. Now, just for reference, from March of 2009, that's when the market bottomed at the, uh, well, actually, or if you want to put it another way, when the bull market actually started, uh, through the end of 2021, the S&P provided us an annual average compound return of 17.5%. That is well above normal. Now, over the last three years, three calendar years, 19 to 21, 
despite the health crisis, uh, the index compounded at 24% a year, way above normal, greatest runs of all time. And this year, well, just a little different. S&P's off to its worst start for a year in 83 years. Aren't you lucky to be participating? Yeah, and if now if you look at the 10 worst starts that stocks have had in in the U.S., they tend to bounce back nicely uh, thereafter after about up about 10% on average. It's the S&P, as I mentioned, it's only it's down year to date 15 and a half percent. Now, the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, which is made up primarily of U.S. Treasuries, highly rated corporate bonds, and some mortgage-backed securities, that's a minus 9.3% for the year. So it's one of those uh, no-place-to-hide kinds of things. Uh, And yet, you need to stay involved because, well, that's how you get to have uh, funds for the long term. We're suggesting strongly that you continue to avoid long-term bonds and bond funds because those guys are highly sensitive to rising interest rates and as a category have lost 20% or more so far this year. You'll see that in your bond funds um, and individual bonds that are out 10 years or more. And as we talked before, uh, you know, your income will continue, but should you need to sell or reallocate, you're going to have losses you know, for tax purposes, that could be good, but otherwise, it's not so much fun. Now, for the last eight months, uh, continued losses, shall we say, for the final eight months of the year are, are rare. And double-digit gains are more than possible, according to our friends at Ladenburg Thalman. Um, now, this is another thing I found. These are bits and pieces not necessarily related, I would add. CNBC, that font of market wisdom, that is a major sarcasm alert. Anyhow, it uh, ran its quote-unquote markets and turmoil special last week. Now, they do that anytime there is a market and turmoil. I guess they have a committee for who decides what a market and turmoil is. But anyhow, uh, you should, all, I think, always want one of those and, uh, to compare to regular programming because all this panic they're helping to create creates opportunity lower prices. It's okay to buy low, you know. Mixed signals of a quote-unquote reasonably strong economic dra- uh, backdrop and mostly pretty good earnings, again, uh, versus rate rises and inflation concerns. That's what's made it so difficult for traders to figure out the potential of a full-blown bear uh, market actually showing up. It is the ongoing certainty of uncertainty, you know, and Please remember, if you're in the markets, whatever your markets you're in, there you will not be able to know what your outcome is ahead of time. That's just the nature of the beast. Because in the near term, market is totally, almost totally driven by sentiment, a.k.a. headlines. And that sentiment can't only shift on a dime, but continue either in the direction of greed or fear for longer than any of us expect. And here's a, for instance, a how perceptions change. Peloton. It's now 93% below its all-time high, which was set in January of 2021. Uh, It's below its IPO price of September 2019. And it traded as low as 11 and a quarter this week. It's about 15 uh, uh, yesterday. What changed? 
Well, everybody's, if you will, bugging out of the bug stocks. Uh, there's a wholesale selling of those kinds of stocks that benefited, especially when everybody was in lockdown. And so the narrative moving from everything is awesome to everything is awful. Same companies, didn't really change. But the price investors are willing to pay change as well. Now, Peloton from over 20 times sales last year to less than one times sales. That's not exactly an uptick for the company. Now, let me, uh, if this is even a good way to do I'm going to try and segue into growth and value. You know, this is the Russell 2000 index, one, excuse me, 1000 growth index. It's 25% off its highs. The Russell 1000 value index is down just 10%. And that spread is even wider in the small caps. Large value, large growth is back to where it was at the beginning of when the bug showed up. Small value, small growth, highest level since early 2017. Hmm. So tech stocks have been particularly hard hit by this year's selling because rising interest rates have made some investors reluctant to put any more money in parts of the market that look expensive. Apple, Salesforce, Microsoft, they've all been cracked heavily uh, as investors move out of these growth areas. Apple lost, <laughs> actually, they moved into their own bear territory. Actually, I think they're probably at bear territory now, down about 20% from their 52-week high. And as a result of having done that, Saudi Aramco is now the uh, world's uh, most valuable company. You may guess that they're somewhat involved in the oil business and so tech companies though generally are taking a beating just because so value investing and growth investing two different investing styles usually the uh, stocks that are in the value category present an opportunity to buy those shares below their actual value growth excuse me growth stocks have above average revenue and earnings growth potential one thing you have to remember throughout markets with it any time is that the uh, price per share does not necessarily reflect the value of the company. You can see the prices go up and down and all over, but what is it worth relative to the value of the company? And in markets like this, that's a very important thing for you to keep front of mind. Now, the S&P 500, that is, is not broken into growth and value stocks. However, there's two sectors in the S&P that are considered growth, and that's the technology and consumer discretionary. They make up 40% of the index. Value sectors only make up 29% of the index. That's generally companies that are financials, industrials, energy, consumer staples, that kind of stuff. Now, when money costs nothing, as it has up until... A few weeks ago, uh, you're less sensitive to when you're going to be repaid. So, investors have given certain companies, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, that's uh, the high techs, the benefit of the doubt. As long as they grew their top line at 20% or more, people are happy to subsidize their losses. Now, let's go to the growth side here. Growth investors are attracted to companies that are expected to grow faster either by revenues, cash flows, and definitely by profits, than the rest of the companies. As growth is the priority for a company, they reinvest earnings in themselves in order to expand, uh, either in the form of new workers, equipment, acquisitions, those kinds of things. Now, do not expect dividends from growth companies. 
right now it's go big or go home. Growth companies offer upside potential higher than most, and therefore it's uh, by definition inherently riskier. There is no guarantee that a company's investments in their growth will successfully lead to profit. There's no guarantee that it won't either. Growth stocks experience stock price swings and bigger moves, greater magnitude, so they could be least suited for risk-tolerant investors with a longer time horizon. Now, value investing, the old diamonds in the rough thing. Companies whose stock prices don't necessarily reflect their fundamental worth. Going back to what I just said a minute ago, the price and the value are not necessarily equivalent. Value investors look for businesses trading at a share price that's considered a bargain. Now, as time goes on, the market will pro properly recognize the company's value and the price will rise. It is not uncommon for a company, I shouldn't say not uncommon, it's not unusual, for a company to move from value to growth uh, as their value is recognized. So, as, as a quick cheat sheet in the last couple of thoughts here, um, a growth stock, generally more expensive, their stock prices are high relative to their sales or profits. That's due to uh, expectations from investors of higher sales or profits in the future. So they would have, these kinds of companies would have a high price to sales and price to earnings ratio. Now they're generally riskier than the value side of the equation. They're expensive because investors expect big things. If growth plans don't materialize, the price could, shall we say, drop. Now the value stocks, less expensive. Stock prices are already low relative to their sales or profits. They're considered less risky because they already have a proven inability to generate profits on a proven business model. Stock price appreciation doesn't come along for sure with these guys that, because the uh, investors may have already priced the stock appropriately. These kinds of stock generally is where your blue chips come. You know, they uh, all they do is keep showing up, cranking out profits, paying the dividends and uh, rising over time. Now, when it comes to overall long-term performance, there's no clear-cut winner between the growth and the value side. When economic conditions are good, growth stocks, on average, modestly outperform the value side. During more difficult times, value stocks tend to hold up better. Therefore, which group outperforms depends a lot on the specific time period you're considering. The real bottom line is don't cut off one for the other because you're just cutting off your nose to spite your face. They're both good, but good at different times and in, in different reasons. Let me uh, jump to economic news. Um, you know, I was saying earlier about uh, what happened so far this year at the market. Well, last year, our economy had its best one-year growth since 1984. And to my mind, that's one of the reasons people are so <laughs> verklempt, if you will. It's a, anyhow upset, confused, all of those words. You know, everything's been going so great, and now it isn't. What the heck? Uh, you know, and the money supply has grown during all the lockdowns, and now consumers are paying the price in much higher inflation. That's the short story. You know, until the Fed gets growth uh, in the money supply under control, it's likely that our relatively high inflation is here for a while. Now, in April, 
when we had the CPI come up, Consumer Price Index, prices for shelter, food, and airline fares were the main reason for the jump. And it was, but here's, here's the kind of thing that's in there, and I don't know what to make of it, it's too small, but it, it's also the first drop in, in excuse me, inflation growth in eight months. Because in March, uh, the rate was 8.5 and April is 8.3. Now, we may be splitting hairs. I don't know what's going to happen, but maybe it means that it's at least plateauing. I would say that that phrase was worth the words it came out of. So just food for thought. Now, here's more positive things about the economy. 20.1 million private sector jobs were lost from February through April of 2020. 20.3 million have been added back since that period of time. And with a new high in non-farm payrolls, this is the greatest jobs comeback in history. Will the growth in jobs continue? I'd say that's pretty likely. You know, you still got 11.5 million job openings in the country. That's 5.6 million more than the number of unemployed people. It's like two to one. There's never been a spread this high. I don't know where these folks are hiding out, but anyhow. Another topic. The fundamentals underlying the U.S. economy remain quite strong. Have that tattooed on your hand. Remember that. Resilient demand, healthy corporate and consumer financial positioning, rising earnings, all of those can act as shock absorbers through the volatility that we're going to like be seeing over the near to medium term because of the uncertainty. Now, inflation is hitting in many different areas. Uh, airline fares in April up 20%. Eggs up 10%. So don't ask for eggs on your airplane ride. Over the last year, en energy, oh yeah, well, <laughs> up more than 30%. And, uh, you know, the, the, the persistent inflation is likely going to lead to more interest rate increases. Tra traders seem to have backed away from the idea of a 0.75% rate hike next month, but they're still looking at a half a percent in June, July, and September. And oh, by the way, Mr. Powell was reconfirmed for another four-year term as the Fed chair. The vote was 80 to 19, so I don't think he had to do too much electioneering in order to get the job. So now I want to uh, move over to what uh, some folks are looking at in the market going forward. And one thing I think is important to consider is the herd instinct. You're seeing a lot of, you know, how if you watch the market day to day, and I don't recommend you do unless you do this for a job, uh, you'll see a lot of upping and downing throughout the day. What's going on? You know, that means that the, trade, the traders naturally all talk to each other. And, you know, if one guy's got an idea, that one's going to play. And then it, 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 whether it's a buy or sell. So you have a lot of... Uh, tail wagging the dog stuff going on all the time and so you have to keep that in mind when you see what's going on in the marketplace and they have these computer driven programs that are totally uh i don't know what the right word is anyhow mechanical uh, based on price movements that have nothing to do with uh fundamentals whatsoever now the bottom line is recessions happen when the fed tightens too much raises the interest rates too high and with the inflation rate rate already well above current interest rate levels in uh, the money supply is still expanding. The Fed is not tight, less loose, but it's not tight. 
Some investors are already pricing in a recession for this year, early 2023. We don't see a recession starting that soon. As the most, my opinion, as the most pessimistic uh, investors realize they're wrong, it's, it, it's an adjustment that should help drive stocks higher. It's one of those classic wall of worry things that can help boost stocks with bad news in the near term is already overly priced in. Now, I believe it would take a recession for us to believe that a true beer market is upon us, not just a correction. And right now, again, we don't expect a recession this year. Our best guess is that maybe, maybe the next recession starts spring, summer of 24. On the other hand, Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, and Morgan Stanley all expect stocks to struggle this year. And uh, according to Goldman, even if the uh, U.S. manages to avoid dipping into a recession, stocks look risky. You know, that's another point right there. Stocks look risky. Are you a long-term investor? Are you a trader? If you're a trader, stocks look risky. If you're a long-term investor, I believe they look cheap. There's a big difference in terms of where you're positioning. So, and again, some investors, as we talked, an analyst pointing to value stock, good hedge among rising rates. Mark Hafley of UBS says, and I'm quoting, despite our expectation of falling inflation and sustained growth, we believe investors should brace for further stock volatility amid significant moves in key economic variables and bond markets. He goes on to say, we continue to favor areas of the market that should outperform an environment of high inflation. And those include those kinds of uh, value stocks. Tom Lee, he of Fundstrat, he remains bullish on stocks generally. He said if the market finds its footing, and I'm quoting, we're in a world of double-digit expected returns, unquote. He said that this past week is was interesting because the stock market declines accelerated downwards. So the waterfall was accelerating, but things that normally would corroborate that decline uh, have not been. So the bond market's been, he's still at talking, the bond market's actually been pretty stable even in the face of the hot consumer price index numbers. Mr. Lee noted that of the 16 times since 1940, the market's declined 16% in a four-month period. It was higher six months later, 12 of those 16 times. So the trend is your friend. Now, a little more uh, kind of waxing and, I don't know, perspective things. You know, it's been my opinion. I've been doing this now just over 49 years as of last month. And maybe it took me maybe six months to come to this conclusion. But the prime, from when I started, the primary function of financial journalism, in my opinion, seems to be to terrify us out of ever achieving our financial goals by always shrieking about the market's volatility. Now, folks, volatility is just movement up and down. And nobody complains when the movement is up, do they? Now, we've been reminded of this almost hourly as the S&P approached, quote-unquote, official bear market territory, which is 20% below its January all-time high. Not quite there yet, but sneaking up on it. And and if you think about it, the stocks have been, these past four, well, since the first of the year, pretty much, uh, 
have been pricing in inflation fears and expectations are quite low today. Once that fear, the fear, not the actual inflation, the fear works its way through, markets should resume weighing reality against those amorphous expectations and it shouldn't take much positive surprise to help fuel a strong bounce that usually follows corrections. Now price, as I've said before, price of a company's shares do not always reflect their value. Now here's something that I'm sure would not be obvious based on what the market's been doing. With over 90% of companies having reported, reported their earnings that is, FactSet estimates that S&P earnings rose 9.1% year-over-year in their first quarter, driven by a 13% rise in revenues. So fear is ruling the markets, for now. But in time, stocks will resume weighing fundamentals. You know, it's my opinion, this is a market that's primarily, well, I guess you could say it's always true, but especially lately, primarily trading upon emotions and not rational logic. Houses are piggy banks, retirement accounts are up, bosses eager to please, and when this boom ends, things will change. So let's reflect on some of the lessons that we've learned heretofore. Number one, nothing lasts forever. When growth stocks were going up every day, yeah, felt like it would never end. And now that growth stocks are um, adjusting their prices, it feels as if it's never going to end. Everything ends eventually, even the bad stuff. Now, your survival, fiscally, is the most important thing. Your portfolio must be able to weather euphoria, panic, and general market malaise. You don't just put it all in one thing. And please make special note of this. Nothing, nothing is a perfect inflation hedge. Certainly not gold. Stocks crypto or cash. Different inflation hedges work in different regimes. No one size fits all. Diversification everywhere. And again, diversification is the only answer to an unpredictable future. If everything's working, you're not diversified. I guess conversely, if everything's not working, you're not diversified either. Now, interest rates do matter. The cost of money is the lifeblood of the economy, and it's, you know, the reference point for all financial things. That's why we talk about the 10-year Treasury yield every morning on the uh, report with Teresa and Dave and, you know, helping folks keep track of that because it, it affects most of what we do fiscally in this country. And nothing is risk-free. As we said at the open, the S&P is down about 16% year-to-date, but the intermediate, quote-unquote, risk-free government bonds are down 20%. You know, don't beat yourself up. You're not a genius on the way up, you know, okay? Uh, but you're not an idiot on the way down either. And inflation's unpredictable. Nobody, and especially those yahoos on the TV, knows what's going to happen next. You didn't know this was going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen next. That's what makes investing hard. This certainty of uncertainty. You know, and, and this is another thing that folks have a hard time grasping. Pain for households often doesn't translate to pain for markets. We think stocks are reacting to the fear of inflation, not prices themselves at the fundamental level. See, because rising consumer prices can actually be a positive signal for corporate earnings. That's not double talk. It means that the market can bear it when companies charge more, 
which helps them preserve their profit margins as their costs are being forced up. And in our view, this is a big reason why stocks have often risen through periods of above-average inflation and not hitting major trouble until and unless, of course, our friends at the Fed overshoot when trying to uh, control the price. Now, attempt to get a time to market by getting out of your positions and re-entering at some magic perceived safer environment. Well, in my experience, the folks who do that generally leaves them much worse off. You're best served by sticking to your strategy with a smart, risk-adjusted asset allocation and then holding on through a turnaround because the most significant gains are captured in initial market turnarounds. Now, you know, there's a shift in perceptions that happens as what's going on now with folks looking at the short term. In my opinion, long-term charts are my prescription for getting past this lost-in-the-noise problem we have as human investors. Now, I have before me a chart. Here you can see, there it is. Um, of, of five, the bear markets in the S&P since 1950. There have been 15. And of all of those, the average drop was 30%. They lasted 330 days, so less than a year. And uh, that's that. So, and, and these were some pretty serious ones. The worst one was, well, that most folks would be familiar with, likely, uh, was the 2000-2002. Um, and uh, that was when uh, the market was down 49%. That thing lasted 929 days. The follow-up was also one I'm sure most are familiar with, the 0709, when the S&P was down 56% for 517 days. Well, it wasn't down that long, but that's how long the uh, bear lasted. So they're not, they don't last forever, you know. It's just that it's no fun walking around when things are negative, is it? So, you know, there there are advantages to living in the market here now, but disadvantages as well. Every crest is higher. Every trough is lower. Because points of greater reference disappear. And folks get overly focused on each shift instead of looking at the bigger path. The trend. Remember the magic phrase in the business? The trend is your friend. And so keep your eyes on that. Not the day-to-day -day silly stuff. And despite the slightly disturbed and even times panic tones of our buddies in the financial media, things are not so terrible in the market. You know, let's put the GDP in, in, in a pre-post-pandemic context. Real GDP for the first quarter of 2022 is 2.8% above the level of real GDP for the fourth quarter of 2019, which was the last quarter before the bug showed up. Ah, oh, the news hadn't kind of gotten around to tell you that. Country has recovered ground, still out of path from expansion. Monetary policy is trending tighter. Interest rates have been ridiculously low for, shoot, 15 years anyway. And I think it's time to regain a sense of normality and perspective. Like every major fall that's happened in the past, the markets always eventually recover. I said I've been doing this since, well, 1973. There is never, is this good English? No English teachers send me hate mail, but there has never not been a time when the markets haven't recovered. Every major fall, 
is always recovered. Now, that doesn't mean hanging on is always wise. If you need cash very soon for whatever major life event, maybe selling makes sense. Perhaps better, it's best if you have or have had a, uh, a slush fund, an emergency fund of, well, depends on everybody's own uh, thing, but we three months to a year's worth of expenses. So you don't have to sell your stuff in order to just keep the, uh, the parade going. For most people, ignore those goofy people on the TV with their drum beats of panic and keep the money in your investments until you need it. Even if growth is slow, it's almost 100% times likely better than what you'd get in a traditional savings account. Ryan Dietrich at LPL, he's their chief market strategist, he mentioned recently that, <clears throat> excuse me, the supposedly normal worst six months of the year, the sell in May and go away crowd, is not necessarily sound. He goes on to say, first, the S&P has closed higher during the month of May in eight of the past nine years, so sell in June might be more appropriate. Matter of fact, stocks gained nine in the last 10 years during those six months. So you might see some potential seasonal weakness, he says, and choppy action. Be aware it could be short-lived and consider using it as a buying opportunity. Stocks going down in price is a buying opportunity by definition, folks. You should have your... Uh, shopping list handy. And finally, consumer spending continues and, and the economy is still growing as led by corporate earnings, which we discussed earlier. Oh, now there's a little good news about potentially bad news. We have never, ever as an economy and consumers been better positioned for a recession. All the companies that matter have locked in super low weights, rates on their debts for years to come. Cash is abundant everywhere. Companies, households, you name it, liquidity is not an issue. Home prices and stock prices fall. Well, we'll still enjoy an increased average net worth relative to prior years for a long time. And even if we had a large uptick in layoffs, I don't know where that would come from, but even if we did, they would readily be absorbed in the labor market with, again, headline unemployment of just 3.6%. That's the lowest in, shoot, everybody's lifetime that I'm aware of. <clears throat> Excuse me. Corporate and household balance sheets combined with uh, the current demographic setup should ensure that a uh, garden variety recession could come and go without a full-blown financial crisis serving, uh, uh, arriving as a package deal. They are not linked. They don't have to be that way. And because markets look ahead, stocks shall have priced in the full extent of recession well before the recession actually is at its worst. That happened in 2008-9, as you may recall. You know, the data continue to deteriorate as the stock market is beginning its rise from the lows. It's always happened that way, and there's no reason not to expect it to continue. Bears stay bearish. They cite the data. Oh, woe is me. World is ending. Kill me now. The bulls will stay bullish, citing the pessimism of the bears and the opportunities created in beating up shares and funds. Not everybody makes it to the next cycle. It's not supposed to be easy. That's why the winners are able to win. J.P. Morgan said, in bear markets, stocks return to their rightful owners. And in recessions, we find out who those rightful owners really are. You know, this bull market, just the bull market, just needs reality to exceed the currently poor expectations. And with, <clears throat> with so many expecting a lasting downturn, bearish takes on uh, mixed data suggesting reality has a pretty low bar to clear. Yet another reason to remain bullish in our view. 
And every time stocks fall a little, feels like they could fall a lot. I don't know why that is, but that's the negative mindset of many people. Every time stocks go into a correction, oh, they're going into a bear market. They go into a bear market, oh, they're going into a crash. It's one thing to sell because, well, anyhow, don't do that just because of, again, headlines. And <laughs> Sorry, I get all carried away with this stuff. If you just sell because of news and because other people are selling, you're going to make yourself hostage to the whims of all these millions of strangers who often go collectively wacko. And, and that's no way to live and there's certainly no way to invest. Keep your leverage low, your emotions in check, do a lot less than you did when, in, during the rally, and, and don't try to overthink things. Watch the long-term long moving averages, the trends, and ignore the daily drama and nightly noise. You know, think of it this way. Look at a chart of the S&P. Look, you know, go back to, well, whatever, however far back. You know, it goes back to 1926 if you want the whole thing. Why would you want to get out of something that has historically generated annual returns, average annual returns of 8 to 10%? And that includes situations like what we're enduring. You have to tolerate discomfortable. <laughs> what? Let's try it with a real word. You have to tolerate discomfort if you're going to earn any kind of return over the long term. If you really think you can sell stocks on the way up and then avoid on the way down and do it over and over again and come out ahead after paying taxes, I'd say your logic is, uh, to be polite, flawed. Now, past behavior is a really good indicator of future behavior. How did you act during other market dislocations? Learn from that. Benefit from that. In bull markets, you tend to overestimate your true tolerance for enduring discomfort. Now, you only really know where that is when you go over it, don't you? So, have a strategy, stay with it, do not deviate just because of the headlines. And we're just about at the end here, so thank you very much for listening. And if you're in the Spokane area, be sure to go out and see the Thunder Chickens at Fairfield. Fairfield? Fairchild. This weekend, they are a good show, and all the folks in, on the static displays, if you're an airplane guy, that's a good place to be. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week at 9 Pacific. This is Mike Mayo. I'm with the Spokane Office of the Opus 111 Group. Join us again next Saturday morning at this same time for the financial insight, opinion, and perspective of Money Management with Mike Mayo. Have a question or comment? You can reach Mike at our website, opus111group.com.